What is up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley here for the Scale Up Show. I have another Ryan on the show today. Ryan New, who is the founder and CEO of Vendor. Really cool thing about him. He was a former VP of sales like myself. And he grew his company from zero to 30 million in ARR in three years. And he shares exactly what he did, his number one secret on how to make that happen so you can apply it to your business. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Ryan New. Ryan is the founder and CEO of Vendor, where he leads a 100-person-plus sales team, building the buy button for SaaS before founding Vendor. He was at HubSpot when they only had 200 employees in a leadership position for sales, also worked at InVision as an enterprise sales, and then shifted to Founder. Ryan, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome. What's going on, Ryan? Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Um, I'm excited. I love your background. I love your story. Super interested. So, um, But before we get into that, let's do a real quick revenue rundown. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Uh, so as a company, we're about three and a half years old. We are now north of 30 million ARR. That's fantastic for, for three and a half years old. So how about what's your primary go-to-market strategy for, for revenue growth, I should say? Uh, we're all 100% inside direct and uh, zero coming from channel today. It's on, it's on the, the horizon, but yeah, 100% direct inside. And, and our, we're selling to companies on average, that's you know two hundred to two thousand employees is like our core market. We have mm-hmm. uh, a handful of customers in the Fortune one hundred, and our smallest customers are like fifty to one hundred employees. But our sweet spot has has always been mid market. Okay, so is it a primary outbound then? It is. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So, and then can you walk through your solution really quick? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be intrigued based on just kind of the description. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so hopefully if, if people are in sales that are listening to the podcast, hopefully you've experienced vendor um, in a one of your, your deals. So if you're selling to your customer and they say, hey, uh, we actually use vendor to buy all of our software, that's what we do. So the company started as um, a way to help companies buy software much more efficiently. So we literally went to companies and we said, hey, right now, how do you, when you're buying software, you're buying hundreds and hundreds of products because every company is becoming increasingly reliant on SaaS, how are you actually buying it? And most companies either have a very, very small procurement team that they don't have time to go negotiate hundreds of transactions per, per year, um, or two, they don't have a procurement team at all. So what vendor said is, hey, we'll just do it for you. Like, Let us do it as an extension of your team, because one, it's all we do. We have plenty of time to do this. We have plenty of data to do this, and we have plenty of institutional knowledge. So it actually allows us to transact much more efficiently. Um, so that's what we do. We help companies buy software. Excellent. And what, what's we'll, we'll get into the outcome your solution provides a little bit later. Um, but it's it, it, it obviously there's a massive sassification of everything. So how, how large is your team? The company is just over 300 people. Um, and our sales organization will be roughly 100 people um, by early next year. Uh, wow. Yeah, 300 total. That's huge, man. That's a really big org. So are you bootstrapped or funded? 
we are funded. So when I first started the company, I had this idea. So I was running sales at uh, enterprise sales at Envision before I started Vendor. And I had this idea of like, in my gut, I was always like, I need, I need to start a company. And I've tried plenty of startups in the past. Every single one of them has failed. And so uh, at the time I was 34, 35 years old, I said, you know what, it's now, it's now the time I'm, I'm going to make the plunge. And my objective was to, to just, you know, create a lifestyle business where I could actually uh, make enough to, to pay myself and have a, a, a nice life. And so when I first started the company, I was assuming that it was going to be a lifestyle business. Pretty quickly realized uh, we, we were going to go down the fundraising path. We entered, uh, we joined Y Combinator in 2019, and that really changed our trajectory. Uh, we're now venture funded. We've raised uh, over $215 million dollars. Uh, we just closed our Series B uh, with SoftBank and Craft Ventures. Uh, David David Sachs is on our board, um, and we did that. We closed that transaction about two months ago. Wow, that's awesome, man! Congrats on that. That's a big, big. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> obviously, great, great moving with Y Combinator to get that started, but to have David Sachs on your board and that round of funding, that there's a lot of work to go into that. So it often gets glossed over, if you will. So uh, congrats on making that happen and making that a reality. A funny, funny, quick story. When when we applied to Y Combinator, uh, it was a team of three at the time, and uh, I remember in the interview, I literally told them, "They're like, oh, I see a really big opportunity for you guys to put product behind this." And three years ago, I said, "No, no, no, we're just going to do this manually, negotiation as a service. Like we got this." And they're like, "Okay, sounds good." <laughs> and um, sure enough, you know, we quickly realized that you can actually make this incredibly scalable. And you can service nearly every company in the world because like as every company is becoming increasingly reliant on SaaS, they have this problem of the chaos of SaaS and how to buy it, how to know you're paying a fair price, how to manage it. And so it's funny, like the, the mindset shift from like the naive founder of I'm just going to like bootstrap this thing, do it all myself, all the way to, you know, holy shit, this is a massive opportunity and we're going to need a lot of people and a lot of technology to pull it off. And that's why you took funding, right? Or is that why you went in a Y Combinator or what, what, like, how did that happen exactly? Yeah, it's why we took funding. So, you know, at the end of YC, we, um, you know, the, the way that like the first day at YC, what they say is, what is your, come up with your one liner. And this really resonated with me because a one liner, if you can distill your business down to one line, one sentence, it actually means you've, you've drastically simplified your mission. And the one liner that we started YC with is we are the way that every company buys SaaS, right? If you ask me today, what does vendor do? We are the way that every company buys SaaS. And um, what that helped us do is, is recognize that our job is just to become the buyer of SaaS. And by the way, at scale, I actually think we can become the universal sales team of SaaS because we have all of the demand on the buy side. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that was really the, the the catalyst for me, or the turning point of let's put some money behind this and let's let's really give it a shot. And um, once we started, once we took some capital, you know, our seed round was about four and a half million. Um, that's where we really started pour, pouring some fuel on it, hiring our first salespeople. Uh, before that, it was all founder founder driven sales. Okay, and how long were you in business when that happened? So I started the company in 2018. So I quit my job at Envision and I said, I'm going to start this thing called Vendor. I have no idea what it's going to, uh, what it's going to really do. And Envision said, they go, great. Why don't we become your first customer? 
And that was a huge moment for me because one, I was able to make money on day one profitably. So I was able to pay myself. And uh, that gave me also validation of companies have this problem of buying SaaS more efficiently. And I didn't hire anyone for uh, about until about a year later. That's where I hired Jeff Swank, who was our first employee. Uh, he's still here to this day, uh, running a very significant portion of the business. Um, so it was about a year later. And then six months after that, we really started uh, investing in sales. Excellent. I think that's great. So how did you make this shift from a VP of sales and to a founder? And, and I know you just kind of walk through the high level details, but like, there's a lot involved in creating a tech platform that's different from sales companies. So how did you make that happen? Yeah. You know, people ask like, how have you raised so much money in such a short period of time? And it all comes back to sales, right? We've been able to sell, which validates uh, a lot of your problems go away. If you know how, if you're, if you're selling, because people aren't going to buy something as, as a, a, a favor or charity case, they're going to buy something because they have a problem and then they're going to stick around because you're solving that problem. Um, and so for us, a lot of the, a lot of the evolution has really been uh, sell first, productize later. And what we've done is we've sold, we've serviced manually to learn what the problems are versus guess what the problems are. And we're basically from a product perspective, we're now throwing darts. Because right. Vendor has around 500 customers, and that means we know 500 problems. And from a product perspective, we're like laser focused on the stack rank of problems that our customers have, and we know exactly what we need to solve. And you know, I remember like the earliest days of Vendor, I was like, okay, maybe I'll put some lightweight product behind this, hire like an outsourced or you know a contingent worker uh, or engineer, and I was like, I think I think my customers are going to like this thing, so just build this. And I showed it to them. They're like, oh, that looks kind of cool, but I don't need that. And so I'm good, right? And, and so it was a really uh, uh, an important lesson for me, which is like, don't build things for the sake of like productizing or trying to become a technology company. Build things because it's actually solving a critical problem. And service-first businesses, when you start service-first, I actually think it gives you a leg up. And early, early days, every single VC we spoke to said that won't scale, that won't scale. You're doing it manually, that won't scale. And I think why we got into YC, it's like, you know, Paul Graham writes about it, like do the things that don't scale because that's how you actually get closer to the customer. Uh, so YC was, was really a blessing for us and, you know, our business would definitely not be where it is today without it. Yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, that's really insightful. And it's funny, I, I was talking a little bit about this right before, we jumped on, but I was just at a SaaS CEO conference and one of the CEOs I talked to, he's just like, he's like a four-time founder. He's like, basically you could, you could SaaSify anything, right? And one of the things that he brought up was that, you know, you could, your MVP could be services like you were talking about. It could be uh, a licensed solution or white labeled solution underneath the hood, it could be something completely different. So a lot of different options there. Hello. 
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. All right, Ryan. So one of the things, just just going a little bit deeper on what you talked about and how you're doing things that don't scale and that services is is great. You have 500 clients, so you identified 500 different problems. When you, when you're looking at that, I guess like if, if you're looking at creating a SaaS solution out of a services business, you know what's your mental framework for doing that? Like, how did you approach it in terms of enabling it tech wise? How did you scope out the problems? Would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, we actually started um, the at, at square one, which is what are we trying? What are we trying to accomplish? Like, what is the mission of the company? And what we're hoping to do, and what we believe we can do, is we say internally we're trying to fix sales. And when we say that, what we actually mean is think about selling today. Um, is it efficient? Meaning, um, how often do your prospects or your opportunities actually close? Well, on average, they close at like twenty or twenty five percent. So you're spending, your sales org is spending 75% of their time on non-buyers. That's not efficient. Number two, how long does it actually take to close a deal? Well, the average sales cycle in SaaS is 60 to 90 days. So you've got salespeople that are spending 75 to 80% of their time with non-buyers across 60 to 90 days. That's incredibly inefficient. And so our mission is to fix sales. And if we're successful in fixing sales, that means companies will actually be able to spend a heck of a lot less on sales and marketing expense and a heck of a lot more on R&D. When you do that, you're actually then building better products for your customers, which is a massive win for the customer and it's a massive win for the organization. So when we think about chipping away from a service perspective and productizing, what we're doing is chipping away at the friction of sales. And as we, as we continue to do that, we're going to eventually wake up and enable sales organizations or buyers of software to transact with 99% certainty so we can take close rates from 20% to 99% or 100%. And two, we can transact instead of 90 days, we can tra- transact in a day. So then it's the questions like, well, how would we do that? And that's where we start realizing what our customers are doing that's incredibly inefficient and what we can what we can put product resources behind. A really good example of that is the commercial negotiation. Well, how do people negotiate today is via email and you've got people going back and forth and playing games. So step one, let's eliminate the game and let's actually put some product behind to ask sellers critical questions about what they're trying to accomplish and ask the buyers of software critical questions about their what they're trying to accomplish, right? That's a simple use case of where product can help eliminate, call it three to five days from, from a sales process. But there's plenty more. Think about the time it takes to do a security review, the time it takes to do a legal review. The work involved between buyer and seller is spanning 60 to 90 days. So there's plenty of opportunity to eliminate uh, friction points. Um, so the simple answer is we, we base it on uh, does it does it align with our mission, in this case, fixing sales? And two, are our customers currently doing this thing? And could we be doing it better for them? Gotcha. Okay. Totally makes sense. Uh, and I guess like the, 
which which I think is great. Eliminating friction. I mean, that's that's Bezos' playbook with Amazon, right? He made it so simple to buy that people people had no other option besides to do it, right? It, at least mentally. So, um, what in terms of use cases? You know, because you're saying sixty to ninety days. Are you talking uh, deal sizes of a certain dollar amount and below? Because I imagine there's complexities when you're talking hundred hundred thousand dollar plus deals that might be more difficult or I guess what's the use case? You know, it's, it's funny because like our average deal size for a net new purchase is about a hundred thousand dollars for our customers. Um, okay. We even help our customers like buy AWS, which can be millions and millions of dollars. And so there's really no limit. And um, th- think about how we're transacting today. Actually, I think a really good analogy is what Rich Barton has done. Um, he founded, what was it? It was uh, Expedia, it was Glassdoor, and Zillow. And the reason he did that is he recognized that there was a lack of transparency between two parties. And that lack of transparency leads to inefficiencies. And so like, that's where we get our inspiration. Like, the reason it's hard for, for sellers to sell and buyers to buy, it's because there's, there's an asymmetry gap of the information. Like imagine as a buyer, if you had perfect knowledge, meaning what exactly should I use based on what other people like me have used and the, the, the result that they received perfect knowledge on like the return on investments. And then imagine if you had perfect knowledge. Oh, and on the price, what, what is a fair price to pay? And then imagine if you had perfect knowledge from a sales perspective on who exactly should buy this product based on the use cases we solve and and when can they actually sign like versus having to ask someone or play a game of like if i give you an extra 30% off would you sign by end of quarter like if we eliminate the bullshit from sales and you shine a light on transparency you actually end up in a place that is a heck of a lot more enjoyable and efficient for both buyer and seller and so like, where we get inspiration is like it's so much easier to identify a house that you want to buy, check out comps in the neighborhood, and actually get in touch with a real estate agent with Zillow. It's a lot easier to figure out where you want to work with Glassdoor or Blind. Right? Why is buying and selling software? Why are we still doing it uh, like we did in the early 90s? It just truly doesn't have to be like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and how do you distill the the perfect knowledge in terms of like the ROI and value metrics? When, when we first started Vendor, like the goal was like, let's make the pricing, like, let's make it hard to not buy Vendor. And what I mean by that is, let's make it an absolute no-brainer from a cost perspective and an ROI perspective. And better yet, let's put a guarantee behind it. So let's say Vendor costs $100,000 or $50,000 to use for a year. What we do is we guarantee to produce back like 2 to 3x in cost savings. And if we don't, it's a money-back guarantee. Right. And so early, early days, our pricing model is actually the exact same as it has been since the first or second customer. And it's because it's easy for the customer to understand and it's easy for them to put a value metric behind it. It's dollar savings. And so when we approach a CFO, we're saying literally you're spending, call it two to five million dollars per year on SaaS. You are likely overspending by five hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars on SaaS we are a guaranteed way to find efficiencies there. And so I would say like when, when talking to other founders, like how can you distill your pricing down to like the Costco model? 
right? Eliminate choice and make it incredibly understand, incredibly easy to understand A, what it costs and B, um, how they're going to get value from it. So if you try vendor and it doesn't work, you literally don't pay. And that enables our sales team to actually sell with that swagger of why wouldn't you give this a shot, right? And if you start hearing your prospects say like, oh, it sounds like a no brainer, you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, no, I, I, I like, I, I checked out your guarantees before and I saw that on the website. So, uh, so I think that's a really sharp way to do it. And I can imagine it makes your sales folks live super easy uh, compared to, to those that don't have that in place. So, so that leads me kind of my next question is what would you say has been like your single best growth strategy? Because to go from zero to 30 million plus in three and a half years is, is awesome. I mean, that's, that's awesome work. So how did you make that a reality? And you know, what's your single best growth strategy that you use to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think our single best is what we call internally is like N plus two. And when we say N plus two, what we mean by that is for every customer that co- that decides to give us a shot, right? They mm-hmm. saw the guarantee, what like, I'll, I'll give this, this, this company a shot. How do we turn that company or that customer into two more? And the way to do it, number one, is you delight them. Right. So it's a forcing function on creating customer delight, which will obviously pay dividends from a retention perspective. So number one is delight. Number two is asking. Number two is asking if and when you delight them. So you even do this pre-sale. I promise you, I'm going to delight you. And if I don't, I have a guarantee to protect that. And when I delight you, I am going to ask you for two to five introductions for people just like you at companies just like yours, because I want to then help them as well. Can I get your confirmation that when I ask for that, if I've delighted you, that you'll follow through? Great. They say yes. Then you execute. right? And what I mean by execute is you literally do all of the work. And so what our sales org does is like, once we delight, we've already gotten the commitment. Now we do all the work. We source the person we need to meet. We write the email. It's literally... Our, all our customer has to do is forward it to the person we're asking them to introduce us to. And the hit rate on this, it's like the, it's like the highest closing channel we have like from a referral basis because you've got this trusted person who's already been delighted, who actually wants to help you. And, and it, you can actually scale this incredibly far. Like We weren't making cold calls for about a year and a half, two years in. And the reason for that is we were laser focused on delighting our user base and asking them to help us grow the business. So it really put our customers on the same side as us. And they're proud. Like when they see vendor in the news or raising a bunch of money, they get really excited because they actually helped contribute to this growth. So I'd say bar none, like the best growth hack we've ever deployed has been M plus two. That's awesome. I love that. And I'm, I actually help companies set that up in their companies. Um, Organizations set that up with what you're talking about. And I've seen the, the growth. It's been insane. So love that. I guess like to take it one step further, you know, what's your formula for creating delight then since that's like the cornerstone of what we're talking about, right? I like the pre-framing, the delight, the pre-frame. So it's like when I deliver this result, you know, will you do this? So you get their commitment up front. I think that's awesome. You remove friction, make it super simple. So what's your framework for delight then? Like, how would you explain that? How do you execute on that? 
Yeah. I mean, our North Star for onboarding and customer success is days to returning 1x ROI. Right. And so we literally track and we track the team towards in how many days can we generate a 1x return for a customer? Obviously, the shorter, the better. And better yet, if we can generate a 1x return for the customer, and that goes back for us, it goes back to dollars saved. If we can do that while they are still in onboarding, happy days. That customer is not going to go anywhere. And if we don't, we then quickly can understand or dissect the problem, which usually comes back to process, right? Because for us, it's change management. It's the hardest part of what we do because we're coming into a company and we're changing the way that they buy software. If we don't have their team behind us, and if our process isn't more efficient, they're going to fight it. If they fight it, that means we're not going to be able to work enough deals to actually generate the return. So in, in order of tracking delight for us, and I, I think a lot of other companies could do this as well, is actually just work backwards from a 1x return of ROI, even if your value metric is significantly higher. Okay. So yeah, it's like, um, like in terms of outcomes, you look at that time to initial outcome and then uh, just executing that. And then you got the symptoms, basically is what you're saying of a potential bad partnership if there's a lot of resistance on the change management side. And then do you escalate that to your executive contact and say like, hey, this is this is the reason why we're not, you're not getting the result yet. That's exactly right. Okay. Awesome, man. Love that. Okay. So obviously doing a lot of amazing things and I, I love how you have things set up. What would you say is your single biggest challenge right now in terms of of growing the business, especially continuing at the breakneck speed that you've been going at? Yeah, I mean, candidly, I think, you know, vendor went from 10 people to 300 in about two years. Wow. And so the evolution of 10 to 300 is incredibly challenging. And we have an amazing team, but we've, we've asked a lot of our team. And one of the things I'm most proud of is like the fact that we're growing so quickly means that at vendor opportunity is abundant. And so if you're joining the company, and you are excellent and patient, you're going to be able to find the next opportunity, hopefully within the walls of vendor. If not, our job is to help you elsewhere. But along those lines is like, we've given a lot of people a shot at like leadership that have never managed teams before. And and that's really, really hard. And so I think like, if I look back, like one of the things I would have changed is I would have invested in operations a hell of a lot sooner. I would have done it while we were 10 people. I would have had a tight, small operations team because we knew we had product market fit. We knew we were going to keep growing. We knew that we were probably going to raise more money. And so we could have actually seen the future and built the infrastructure to scale. We didn't, but we learned that lesson. And so so now we obviously have that infrastructure. Um, and what that would have enabled us to do is actually grow our leaders um, much, much earlier instead of asking them to figure it out themselves. And, you know, I think back, so I spent about six years at HubSpot and I had about five different jobs while I was there. And that's exactly why I stayed. Like I'm incredibly impatient. I just, I've always been really impatient. And so staying six years at a job for me was like a really big event. And the reason I did it is because I always had a new challenge. And what HubSpot said is we will give you jobs that you've never done before and we'll trust that you're going to do a great job because you did a great job in your prior job. And then there's no ceiling. You can keep growing your career that way. So that's been a lot of our inspiration with vendors. Like opportunity is abundant if we keep doing our job and delivering delight to our customers. 
And in order to get those opportunities, all you have to do is you have to be patient and excellent. And then there's no ceiling on your career. Um, so then how do we actually make those people successful? That's where a very strong enablement team comes into place, which we now have, but we were like a year and a half too late on that. Yeah, that's good feedback. Uh, unfortunately, we are up on time, Ryan, and I want to be sensitive to yours. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Vendor? And uh, then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, find me on LinkedIn, Ryan New on LinkedIn. Uh, you can read all about Vendor, Vendor.com. And thanks for having me today. Yeah, man, it was awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, makes a lot of sense and a lot of common sense within there. Removing friction, making it easier, doing things better than your buyers do. It's all really ingrained in logic and I think it's uh, refreshing. So it was awesome having you on the show. We we'll look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.